Hey, podcasters, we've got a great show. Uh, what Biden did versus what Trump did. And the biggest heist that has has ever happened in the history of humanity, I believe. We're going to talk about that. Also, Bill Weld says Trump should be executed, which is an, an interesting theory. Max Lucado is here on what happiness really means. Bill O'Reilly stops by. Today's book, The United States of Trump, comes out. We have a great conversation uh, with him. Also, Harry Dent. Kind of scary. Uh, let's just leave it at this. Uh, run for your life. <laughs> The economy is uh, is collapsing. We'll talk to him about that. Uh, swearing off evil, Ricky Gervais, and uh, remember who you are. Great show. All on today's podcast. You're listening to the best of the Glenn Beck Program. So two weeks ago, the left called for the impeachment of Brett Kavanaugh, despite the fact that there was zero, zero evidence and zero corroboration of what they accused. And they just moved on from that because they found another accusation that they could impeach somebody on that has zero corroboration, has has no basis in fact that we know of today. Look, the Democrats are have gone, I think, gone insane. Um, and the Republicans aren't aren't great, but they're at least not insane. They've gone nuts, and the media is helping them. There is a constant assault on our Constitution, a constant assault on rule of law and liberty, and it is subsidized by many corporations in the United States. Your cell phone company is one of those. Now, every time you pay your bill, do you realize that you are putting millions of dollars into the hands of Planned Parenthood and La Raza and other groups that you don't agree with at all. Stop giving them your money to work against you. All you have to do is switch to Patriot Mobile. This is the conservative uh, uh, phone company. It was started by veterans. It's run by veterans. It is the same great service. You have the same cell towers because everybody's using the same cell towers. So you have the same great service. Um, you know, the coverage and you have better customer service because they actually are smaller and they try harder and they care. Plus, you're going to save an awful lot of money. Some people will save a thousand bucks. You just you just switch over right now. They have uh, plans as low as twenty five dollars a month. Plus, you can get the nationwide service with the U.S. based customer service. There's still time for you to get the Moto Z3 Play for only $5 a month, but they are running out. Use the offer code BECK and they'll waive the activation fee on up to two lines. This is so well worth your time, your money. Put your money where your mouth is and get great service. Save a lot of money and help the causes that you care about. Switching is really easy. Just go to PatriotMobile.com slash Beck. PatriotMobile.com slash Beck. Or call them at 877-367-7524. That's 877-367-7524. Or PatriotMobile.com slash Beck. Hello, America, and welcome to the program. Uh, I, um, I want to talk to you about the lesson I learned uh, with Bill Clinton and Monica Lewinsky. The argument was at the very beginning, he did it. No, he didn't. Yes, he did. No, he didn't. Yes, he did. No, he didn't. And then it changed once we found out that he did do it. Doesn't matter. 
Yes, it does. No, it doesn't. Yes, it does. No, it doesn't. This happens all the time. And it's why these news stories are are just drug out for, you know, weeks and weeks and weeks and months and months and months. Because you get so tired of it. And you get so used to the idea that, yeah, maybe he did it, that it doesn't matter anymore. Now, I think these things do matter. But you have to decide whether or not they matter. And on this particular issue with President Trump and Vice President Joe Biden, you have to decide, does it matter? Because they both did the same thing. Now, let me make this case. What did Joe Biden do? What the press is saying that he did. Now, they're not getting into any of his stuff with his son, which to me is the real problem. But what they're saying that Joe Biden did was he went over to the Ukraine. He and the president feared corruption. And so he withheld money. And he said, unless you do this. You're not getting any of our money because we think there's corruption here. And so you have to fire the special prosecutor. That's what he did. And the press says there's no problem with that. And the reason why the press says there's no problem is because we feared corruption. And should we be giving our money to a corrupt government? Now, Here's what Donald Trump did, according to the press. Um, and that's not exactly fair to Donald Trump because they're not saying in really much of this. Uh, but let me give you a fair account of what Donald Trump, if I'm going to take Joe Biden at his word, because that's what Joe Biden said, I got to take Donald Trump at his word at this point, And this is what he said. He said, there's a new president. He doesn't know if he is pro-Putin or pro-Ukraine, you know, pro-West. They fear corruption, and so he holds money back and says, I want you to investigate this because we fear that there was American corruption going on, and this guy was fired because America was corrupt and in bed with your last president. We need to know if that's true. So what is the difference there? They're both fearing corruption. They both take it on the administration, both times, takes it on themselves. The difference is, is that one person is running for president and is the candidate against the uh, the administration okay so now you have that Hmm. so what you're accusing then donald trump of doing is going to a foreign power and saying can you dig up dirt on my opponent and that's an impeachable offense that's the worst thing that's been done But isn't that exactly like what Hillary Clinton did with Fusion GPS just through a mediary? They went to Fusion GPS 
and said, dig up dirt. And Fusion GPS went to a foreign spy who went to the Russians and dug up dirt on Donald Trump. So isn't that the same exact thing, except you're washing your hands? You're washing your hands because you're going through Fusion GPS. Well, I didn't know. Of course you did. Of course you knew. And they took that a step further. They then took that dossier, which was all unproven allegations, and then back-channeled it to the Justice Department. And the Justice Department started an investigation, which we now know had no basis. You see, this is the problem with this. The press and the left have already decided that these things don't matter. The right has been saying it does matter. In fact, we've been saying this since before 2008. But 2008 is a great place to stop. What was the campaign slogan for Barack Obama? It was hope and change. Well, hope for what? Hope for a more peaceful, united union that had a government that was transparent and was doing the right things in the name of the people. That's what the hope and change was that we all voted for. It was bigger than Barack Obama, just like race was bigger than Barack Obama. It wasn't that we elected Barack Obama because he was black. But there was something bigger than Barack Obama, and that was racism in America. We are not the people we used to be. So it was this ideal that was held up. Here's a black man that can bring us hope and change. That's great. But that's not what we got. We got more division. More lies. And a press that wouldn't look into anything. A press that said, oh, it's the most ethical presidency of all time. They were using the IRS to take down his opponents. What is the difference between that and what Joe Biden did? Or what Donald Trump did. What's the difference? If one is abuse of power, they all are abuse of power. This is why Donald Trump was elected. Donald Trump was elected because the people know he's full of crap a lot of times. They know that he is a big businessman. He's a wheeler and dealer. Why would you want that guy as president? Because he has the balls to stand up and say, shut up. And that's where America is. And America is at that point on both sides of the aisle. You see, what's happened here are there the game players on both sides. And the media, in both conservative media and liberal media, they each have their game players. Some are trying to do the right thing. They're few and far between. Most of the media has just chosen a side. 
I am for the D's or I am for the R's. But Americans are saying, I'm not for either of you guys. I have hope that real change will come. I want our government to do the right thing. I don't care. If this is wrong, then all of them should go to jail. If what Donald Trump did is wrong, then Joe Biden should go to jail. And Barack Obama should go to jail. See, what's happened is we're a banana republic. And a banana republic chooses when to enforce the law. Yesterday, uh, Donald Trump said he had gutted the Johnson Amendment. And he had. He has. Here's how. He didn't change the law. He can change the law. But what he can do is instruct the Justice Department not to enforce the law. Well, wait a minute. Isn't that the problem that we have with sanctuary cities? You can't decide not to enforce the law. That's the problem. If it's a bad law, remove the law. If it is a law, enforce it. Why are we having so many problems with guns? Because we're not enforcing the law. Why are we arguing about who should be president and who's going to be a stronger president to get the other side to shut up? We're having that argument because we're not enforcing the law. I'm going to go deeper into this in hour number three, and I want to show you what's coming because of it and what you can do to change it. The problem is there is no one articulating What's really going on? I'll try to articulate it for you so you can articulate it to your friends because people are feeling alone. And that is a real problem on multiple fronts. We'll go more into it here in just a second. And hour number three also... We are going to uh, talk about the economy uh, in about you know, 80 minutes or 70 minutes from now. You don't want to miss. You don't want to miss that. Don't want to miss a second of today's show. Also, Max Lucado is going on in just a few minutes. Uh, last summer, it's finally over. We are now in. Well, not here in Texas. Texas, it's still fires a hell hot. Why? Why, Lord? Why? Uh, Anyway, summer is finally winding down, fall is on its merry way, and so are all the things that you have to worry about with your car. You're going to have to turn the heater on. Yeah, the heater is going to have to be turned on pretty soon. Uh, The cold weather is uh, is coming. Uh, A lot of things in your car probably have gone kaput. If you don't have, sorry, I didn't mean to, I didn't mean to just... Just take the German culture there and appropriate it by using the word kaput. But how dare you? I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Anyway, cooler months mean you have to take a look at your car. Does your car have uh, coverage? Does your car have coverage for just routine repairs, things that should be covered? Car Shield can help you. If you have a car that is 5,000 or 150,000 miles, 
uh, and it doesn't have any coverage on it, you need to get that coverage. And you can get it from CarShield. They'll make fixing your car a pleasure, believe it or not. 800-CAR-6000. 800-CAR-6000. Mention the promo code BACK or visit carshield.com and use the promo code BACK and save 10%. carshield.com. Promo code BACK. carshield.com or 1-800-CAR-6000. Promo code BACK. We pause for 10 seconds. Station ID. All right, you there. What do I have wrong here, Pat? Uh, everything. Yeah, I, I, <laughs> yeah, I didn't believe a word you're saying. Really? No, nah, not a word of it. Wow. Yeah. I you thought... really screwed up this time. Huh. I think it's over. Really? I think it's... My career <laughs> I think it's is yeah, everything. Yes. I think wow. what we need to do is impeach you from this position <laughs> right. and put you to death. Right. Uh, okay. Which is what is actually being proposed. Yeah, well. By Bill Weld. Bill Weld. I, I, the guy we unbelievable Bill Weld, I am convinced, is the reason why we have to have the little sticker on the lawnmower that says "Do not stick hand under lawnmower <laughs> while That's operating." That's exactly right. Don't mow your roof. Uh, okay, okay. <laughs> okay, I won't. You sure? He's the guy. I think we need it. He's he is actually now saying that Donald Trump should be executed for treason. To me, that's almost enough to send the Secret Service over to knock on his door and at least make sure he's not completely crazy and sending out minions or something. Because that's just crazy talk. It's just crazy. Why Why is it crazy? We, we, first of all, we don't even know what was said. We, if we had a Execution. transcript. Execution. <laughs> I mean, maybe could you at least wait and let's, let's at least hear the phone call? And what what is, do you think of that? And is that treason? <laughs> If is he, that if treason? He did, no, I don't think it's treason. No, at it's all. not treason. No, it's not treason. I think the worst you can get him for if if he did this is election tampering, right? Because he's trying to he's trying to mess with the election with a foreign I power. I think you could make a case. I think you, you could maybe you make that case. I don't think that's what happened. Even I, no, I, don't I think, I think let's just say it did happen. Let's okay. just say it did happen. Yes, you're President Trump. Mm-hmm. Do you trust the intelligence community? No, I don't. Do you trust the judiciary? No. Do you trust trust Congress? No, I certainly don't. Do you don't. trust the Justice Department? Nope. Okay, so who do you go to? Uh-huh. Who do you go to? And that's been the thing with him. Right. He's got very few people that he even trusts or can, or can count on. And can I tell you something? He's right he's to right. feel that way. Yeah, he is. You, you, do you go to the media? It's been proven over and over and over again. Right. When people leave his administration, they there, turn on him. There is no one that you can go to as president of the United States. Mm-hmm. And so he goes to the, the new president and says, look... I think there's corruption there. My press won't investigate it. The Justice Department is corrupt on investigating stuff like this. Yeah. Uh, I don't trust our intelligence That would all community. make sense if this is how it happened. Yes. Now, he says he didn't ask for any dirt on Biden, though. He said, I didn't ask for any dirt on him. I don't believe that. Don't you? Mm-mm. Now, no. he could have put it in a way to where he could, there's some wiggle room. He's not subtle. I know. That's, that's He's not very subtle. True. That, is, that is true. Right. And I could see him. This is, how, <laughs> this is how I could see it going down. Hey, Boris. My name's not Boris. Yeah, whatever. <laughs> Boris. Uh, it's Voldemort or something, <laughs> whatever, right? Whatever. Yeah. You're all people are alike. So uh, here's the thing. Uh, we've been worried about corruption in your country for a very long time. Uh, Obama was concerned about corruption. I don't really know who you are. 
Now, my people say that you're good um, and you you lean towards the West and that's good. We need a strong partner. Now, listen, I got all this money sitting over here mm-hmm. and I am concerned about corruption. And quite honestly, now, I don't think he did this because this is too. I don't want to say smart, no, too smart. <laughs> he could say, quite honestly, the corruption that I'm worried about is the corruption that was coming from the United States. Because we withheld $1.8 billion from you because of something with Burisma. And that $1.8 billion disappeared in the bank we put it in. And that bank was run by an oligarch. Now, he doesn't talk like this, but he could have said something of this nature. No, but he... Maybe? Maybe. I doubt it. Maybe. But this is what he should have said. Uh, it was run by an oligarch. We put that money in there. That money just disappeared. That mm-hmm. oligarch is also the guy who runs Burisma, yeah. who our vice president has his son, who has no experience in in oil and gas, mm-hmm. was on the board of directors. That money went to that oligarch. And oh, by the way, at the same time, that oligarch who has been banned from entry in the United States for years. It was it was overturned or rescinded. At the same time, he took one point eight billion dollars from the United States. His status in the United States was rescinded and he was allowed to come to the United States. We want to know why. And I want an investigation because I got this hmm. money and I want to know what happened to the last $1.8 billion. That's absolutely easy to do and right to do. I think Donald Trump didn't think of it that way, but I think he knows of the story of Joe Biden and could have just said, and I want an investigation on Joe Biden and his business dealings there. Meaning the same thing, right. right? That could it could have happened, and is that a big is that a an impeachable offense if he did? I don't think so. This is happening because the press won't do the work. Yeah, the press won't look into these business dealings with a real critical, impartial eye. That's why this is happening. Once people stop doing their job, Mm -hmm. chaos ensues and it gets worse and worse. The best of the Glenn Beck program. Hey, it's Glenn. And if you like what you hear on the program, you should check out Pat Gray Unleashed. His podcast is available wherever you download your favorite podcast. Max Lucado is uh, is with us on the phone now. Max Lucado is a is a New York Times bestselling author, but we're not going to hold that against him. Uh, he is a uh, pastor and a good friend of the program, and somebody who makes uh, millions of people. Uh, he helps them, I should say, find their happiness, and he has a new book out called "How Happiness Happens." Finding Lasting Joy in a World of Comparison, Disappointment, and Unmet Expectations. This is the problem with the world. When you look at the stats, people are not happy and they're not finding happiness uh, because they're looking for it in all the wrong places. Max Lucado, welcome to the program. 
Boy, you're really kind to have me on. It's, no. uh, it's a treat to talk to you. I, I thank you, Max. And yesterday you were supposed to be on. You even traveled all the way up here, and we had a uh, an issue. And so I owe you no big worries. time. Thank you. No worries. All right. Yeah. So, so Max, um, tell me the problem first, as if we don't know it. But you, you lay out some stats. Yeah, on- it, it's it's fascinating, Glenn. I'd be curious your if you're if you're surprised as I was when I read that only one in three Americans surveyed indicated that uh, they consider themselves to be happy. I, th- I think it, had you pressed me on that one, I I would have thought, oh, I don't know, maybe three out of four are happy, even fifty fifty percent. But uh, only one in three Americans have enough happiness to generate the. Wherewithal to check the yes on the happiness box. But I think that goes to uh, our suicide rate going through the roof. I mean, depression rate. Yeah. And you you see the you know, you see what's happening on social media. We are we are living in a world of comparisons and it's not healthy. It's not good. Yeah. and, And comparison uh, which is this age-old problem, right? We always compare ourselves with others. Um, you know, even the Ten Commandments has a lot to say about coveting what your neighbor has, or mm-hmm. or to whom your neighbor is married, and uh, or it, what your all... God, even what your God is. Exactly, exactly. Comparison either creates feelings of superiority or inferiority, neither one of which are healthy, and uh, so it's it's a and, and yet it just seems like in the, this last generation, it's really taking its toll on us. I will tell you, Max, that I have uh, personal testimony uh, on this. I mean, I'm a guy who has gone through 20 years of, of you know, having it all as what the world says is great and uh, and being miserable in it and finding real happiness at my home and with my children and in the quiet times uh i mean it it, it doesn't even compare to anything uh that the world can give you and that discovery has come as a result of um some influence of others or just personal discovery how how would you say that how, uh, how did you realize that uh, personal discovery uh and and finding you know more and more every day that what I think I should be doing or what I think is mm-hmm. important is empty. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then uh, just discovering that the more time I spent with my family, the more time I spent with mm-hmm. my children, the happier I was to the mm-hmm. point to where I'm addicted to it. <laughs> <laughs> what a healthy addiction. Yeah, that is. it is. It is. It is. <laughs> I've got an interesting philosophy. At least I think it's interesting. I've got a philosophy. I'll let others determine <laughs> if it's interesting or not. But, uh, but you know, I grew up in the television generation. Here I am with a Medicaid, Medicare application on my desk. So I'm, <laughs> I'm about to be 65. So I grew up in the TV generation. My kids grew up in the Internet generation. And now people are growing up in the social media generation. And so people, especially ch- uh, teenagers, are getting a triple whammy of uh, of the advertising initiative that has uh, besieged our generation, unlike any other in the history of the world, right? I mean, no one has ever 
had so many people with such sophisticated strategies tell them that they are unhappy, which is at the core of every good advertising campaign. You've got to convince me I'm unhappy in the hope that I will uh, buy this to make us happy and and make me happy. Mm -hmm. And then that doesn't work. And so Mm -hmm. the whole cycle, uh, you know, it repeats itself. And I've wondered, you know, this, this just terrible epidemic of suicide, just terrible, increasing uh, rates of depression, which is projected to be second only to heart disease as the leading illness uh, within the next, you know, maybe the next five years. Uh, I've wondered how much of that can be attributed to this, uh, this, 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 this uh, fuselage of uh, advertisements that that are existing to help me think I'm I, that happiness comes from what I can acquire mm-hmm. or when mm-hmm. I can retire, mm-hmm. and and how much happier we would be if we could make the discovery uh, that you have made, and that is that happiness happens not when you have something more, but when you appreciate what you already have, yes, and when you make other people happy, yes. So what is the what is the key? How, how yeah. do you how do you set people on this discovery? Well, thanks for asking. By the way, again, thanks for letting me on the program. Uh, you know, I, I think I think that one of the you know, there's so many uh, countercultural uh, passages in the Bible, but one that really speaks to this issue is is when Jesus said, "It is better to give than receive." And 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 really that <clears throat> that Greek term there, it is better to give. It is better. It's more blessed to give. It's the word from which we get the word happiness. In other words, happiness will happen when you give happiness to others. So in, in the book, I, I unpack the uh, the passages in the Bible that we call one another verses, like uh, encourage one another, teach one another admonish one another, greet one another, forgive one another. There's 59 of them. There's not, don't worry, there's not 59 chapters in the book. That wouldn't make anyone happy. But I reduced them down to 10, and I just challenge people, uh, try this out. You'll find that real happiness happens when you make other people happy. And here's a, here's just a little person interpersonal relationship 101 book on how the Bible teaches us to to uh, to do good for other people. So um, one of the problems that we have, I think, um, is accented by your solution, and that is there isn't a lot of togetherness right now. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, there's there's we, we are so separated into groups that it's getting down to individuals now to where we don't think we have anything in common or we are so desperate for a team that will sell our soul for that team. Hmm. Oh, Ma. Yeah. Yeah. You're really hitting the nail on the head here. And, and, and I don't quite know how we got to this point. Um, but it's, it's like a, it's like our civilization is a collection of islands and uh in in their tiny islands in this archipelago that we call humanity and we have to each get on our own little tiny tiny island and it, and and the islands are defined by what we uh the 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 opinions that we have and rather than agree dis, to to disagree agreeably um uh, we we 
disagree disagreeably. Yeah. And we isolate, we cluster, and, and, and it's getting smaller and smaller. I find this even in, like right now, I'm on a book tour, okay? And I'm traveling around talking to people, and we'll post that I'm going to be on such and such program, or I'll tell somebody I'm going to be on such and such program. I'm surprised how much pushback people give. Say, yeah, but don't you know that show, that guy or that lady, they promote da da da. And I say, I don't care. I mean, we're not going to talk about that. And whether or not they do is, can't we find common ground? We're all human beings. <laughs> you know, we breathe the same air. Uh, we're made by the same God. We we may have different opinions, but we've got to find a way to to be. I don't know, more civil. Right. So, Max, I, I'm so glad to hear you um, say that. This is something that uh, I've really been working uh, towards for a while and felt very, very alone five years ago. And I am finding more and more people that, as you say, those islands are getting smaller and smaller. People are jumping off those islands and they're swimming to a mainland. And that, <laughs> that mainland is unrecognized so far by the majority of society. Um, but they are, they're jumping off of those islands and they're swimming towards a mainland where other people who they don't agree with are just standing there going, I don't want to do that anymore. Yeah. And that's growing. And if we can, do you think so? I do. I do. You don't. Oh, no, I agree. Yeah. I agree. It's very distasteful life on those tiny islands. <laughs> it is. It is. And I, I contend, I kind of made a point here recently, just in the last few minutes about, politics and i'm going to go into it um you know uh, later on in the program that what we're talking now with politics we're not even talking about the real people we are we are fighting over ideas and Mm -hmm. we don't we're without even stating them and i contend that there is enough people in the country that if someone would come and say look here's the idea we all Mm -hmm. leave each other alone and we just be cool with one another, and we yeah. stop all this fighting, that person would win. I agree. And and you know what I think? I think the byproduct would be we could have some healthy discussions, maybe reach some solutions on these. Everybody wants the immigration issue to be resolved, Everybody, right? The, yeah. These are human beings. Peacefully. Yeah. Peacefully and, and, and equitably for everybody. Exactly. And, and there's got to be a solution. Uh, everybody wants, I don't know, health care. Everybody wants that to be figured out. But since we can't seem to discuss it in a civil manner, the possibility of a uh, – maybe I'm just being naive, Glenn, but you know, I've been a pastor for 40 years. And, and in some ways, being a pastor is good training in, in human nature. Uh, sometimes we've succeeded, but – uh, I'm sorry, sometimes we have not succeeded, but most of the time I think we have. In our little church there in San Antonio, Texas, we found a way to disagree agreeably and, and mm-hmm. just keep chugging along together. Mm-hmm. We agreed that the big things are you know, a good God and a, and a loving Savior. We're going to agree on that, and we're going to agree to disagree on these smaller issues. And and it's just kind of we got to do stuff like that to— to reach a, a consensus and move forward. The name of the book is How Happiness Happens, Max Lucado. Max was scheduled to be on with a uh, a uh, podcast with me where we could spend 90 minutes and really talk. Uh, I, I'm sorry, I know you already 
we've we dissed you yesterday oh, but i would love to have you um if you have time in your schedule to come back and make that um uh, a part of uh that a part would be of your great. your That'd schedule be great yeah um, yeah because i think so, it's always a treat to talk to you though in any in, in any format well max uh, if you can't do that i'd love to have you back on radio again uh and talk to you because i think that you are you're on the right track people are hungry for it they don't know how to find it anymore and i think 2020 is going to be a uh, even a harder year to find the truth and to find happiness yes sir thank you so much okay thank you all you the bet. best to you, you bet. max Bye. lucado how happiness happens it's available in bookstores everywhere this is the best of the glenn beck program The new book, The United States of Trump, How the President Really Sees America. He's been working on this for like 10 minutes last year and then promoting for the last year uh, to tell us that it's coming out. I have read it cover to cover, and I begrudgingly tell you it's one of his best books, and it's really, really good. And you're going to look at the president in a different way. And if if anybody really wants to understand how the president thinks, this would be the one book that you should. Um, but I'm hoping that there's some sort of book apocalypse that happens uh, and you can't make it to the bookstore. Bill O'Reilly, welcome. You don't have to go. You can order on Amazon or BillOReilly.com. Now, listen, yes. it's very nice of you. We usually chat on Friday, yeah. and it's very nice of you to give me the extra time on Tuesday. And I'll I know. tell you. I'll tell you why it's important. Yeah. So um, the networks won't book me Mm -hmm. um, to talk about this book for Mm -hmm. two reasons. Number one, it embarrasses them because it it chronicles how the coverage of Donald Trump has been so dishonest from the jump. And number two, they say to our publicists, well, yeah, he can come on, but we want to talk about Fox News and how bad it is and how they're in the tank for Trump. And uh, we want him to go on and rip up Fox News. And uh, I'm not going to do that. Um, you know, I got problems with Fox, as everybody does, but I'm, I was there for more than 20 years. I'm not going to go in and rip them so, up. So hang on just a second. So you, you, you're not going to be on even any of the, light, the late night shows? Cause no. You're oh, one of their guys, favorite. Are you me? You're this one is, of their this, favorite punching bags. This is, this is an organized deal that basically the national media says, uh-oh, if this book if O'Reilly's book gets to be uh, a big success and millions read it, they're going to know that we're not covering the country honestly. And I'll, let me give you an example of, of how, what a crisis we're in as far as information flow is concerned. So the AP writes a story about this uh, Ukraine controversy, right? The Associated Press. And the Associated Press goes to every small newspaper in the United States. That's what you read when you pick up um, the Fort Lauderdale Sun Sentinel or whatever. So I'm going to read you one paragraph. This is from the Associated Press hard news coverage. Trump has sought without evidence to implicate Biden and his son Hunter in the kind of corruption that has long plagued Ukraine. Hunter Biden served on the board of a Ukrainian gas company at the same time his father was leading the Obama administration's diplomatic dealings with Kiev. Though the timing raised concerns among anti-corruption advocates, there has been no evidence of wrongdoing. Mm. 
by either the former vice president or his son. It's not true. Now, this is, this is a hard news piece. But they didn't say there is no evidence of wrongdoing against President Trump. When there isn't any evidence of anything, we don't know what Donald Trump said in his phone call. We don't know who the whistleblower is. And now there are reports that the whistleblower didn't even hear the conversation. It's hearsay. None of that is in the Associated Press report. So the reason I wrote this book was because I am furious about the corruption of the American media, and I am worried that the American people are not getting the information they need to make responsible decisions. That's why I wrote this book. I had another killing book all set to come out this month, but we delayed that to get this book out because enough's enough. But now it's going to be harder for me to get the word out about the book because the establishment media doesn't want people to know about it. And that's why I thank you, Glenn Beck, for being generous and giving me some time today. So I'm, I'm shocked to hear that the media won't have you on. I actually am because you are, you are a great guest and they love punching you and you like, yeah, and it's you like ratings. punching back. It's great for ratings. And I'm right. I'm it's big ratings. But listen, when I tell you, Beck, that we are in a crisis situation as far as the media is concerned, all right, that there is anger in the conservative traditional precincts, furious anger, all right, and in the liberal precincts, there is worry. There have been so many bogus stories, so many false accusations that the liberal media is now worried. CNN is worried. They don't have one show that draws more than a million viewers, not one. You could put a chimp on for an hour and have the chimp jump up and down and maybe eat a few bananas, and you'll get a million, too. They can't get a million viewers for any of their shows. All right, so let me ask you this. Do you think, knowing the president and writing this uh, new book that is out today, The United States of Trump, do you believe that Donald Trump did not say to the Ukrainian uh, president or whoever he was supposedly talking to, um, hey, I need you to look into this thing about Biden and his son. All right. The odds are, heavy odds are, that he did say that. But there's nothing wrong with that. Okay, that's what I was going to ask you next. Right. Is there a problem with that? Here's the problem, and I wrote this on the message of the day, if people want to read a little more in detail, on BillOReilly.com. The problem is, if he said to the president of Ukraine in June, when this or July, when this call was made, look, if you don't nail the Bidens, I'm not going to give you the aid that Congress has uh, has approved. That would be very bad. Now, Trump denies that. Well, he, says, yeah, he flat out says, that I didn't do it. I right. didn't do a quid pro quo, Latin this for that. Okay? But if he did, that's bad. Okay? And that has to be looked into. Impeachable? I don't think so. I don't think so, because the aid did go to Ukraine. It did go. Mm -hmm. If the aid had not gone, then more of a chance. So do you think, wait, wait, wait. Do you think he said, I'm not giving that to you unless you nail him? I don't know. How can I I possibly know? I know that. I know that. I think that there's. Here's what I know. Donald Trump believes that the Obama administration, including Joe Biden, was corrupt overseas. 
and I, I agree with them. Fact. Do you agree with them? I do. Between it's, Ukraine do and China? Agree. It's a fine line, okay? There's no question, by his own admission, that Joe Biden helped his son make multi-million dollars. And there is nothing illegal about that that we know of, but it's unless, just horrible. Unless, all right, Biden basically, and Biden admits to doing it, Biden told the Ukrainians, if you don't remove this prosecutor looking into my son's company, the company paying him $85,000 a month, then I'm not going to give you a billion dollar in loans and President Obama is going to back me up. Now, that could be illegal. So that don't dismiss that. And Biden admits that he said it. Yeah, there's, his own but words. what he didn't say was that what he claims he didn't say was uh, because of it's my son's you know, company, and I want you to get but off of that. It doesn't make any difference. Correct. It, that doesn't make any difference because he was over there, all right, overseeing Ukrainian loans at the same time his son was getting paid by a corrupt Ukrainian energy company. So what Biden was mandated to do, all right, was recuse himself from being in Ukraine. He's mandated to do that. That's conflict of interest. I could make a case on this all day long, but you won't hear a word about this no. in the media. No, Not a word. No, I know. They, they, they... That brings me back to why I wrote this book, because I'm so angry about, and, and my whole life, I have never seen anything like this in the United States. And in all the history that I've written about the press has never been corrupt at this level, ever. So what's, what's, what's because if you think it's bad, you say we're in a crisis now. Um, I believe 2020 is going to be much, much worse. We will end 2020. By this time in 2020, people will not know who to trust, what to believe, what's real, what's not. Even if they see it in video, they won't know if it's real or not. If they hear tapes of it, they won't know what's real or not. That's what's coming in the next 12 months. Here's the mitigating circumstance why I'm not as worried as you are. Because there will be debates between Trump and Biden or whoever the nominee may be. Okay? You're going to get at least three expositions of Trump versus that person. That transcends the media. The media is not going to have anything to do with that, okay? It's going to be mano a mano on the stage, Americans watching in record numbers, okay? And Americans will make their decision based upon those expositions. So you're taking the press out of that, all right? They can't say, oh, uh, we fought so-and-so one, because Americans are going to watch and make their own decisions. All right, that's the key of the election of 2020. Bill, thank you so much for being on. Uh, again, the name of the book is The United States of Trump, uh, the, How the President Really Sees America. What is the one part that you think Donald Trump is, is going to bristle at the most? Um, probably the description that everything he deals with, he makes personal. It, it's all personal. He is going to disagree with that? I don't think he's going to like to hear it. Hmm. You know, he's got nobody around him. Maybe Melania, maybe. I don't know for sure. Got nobody around him to say, hey, 
once you knock off the narcissism on Thursday. You can do it the other four or five days of the week, but no, no, no narcissism <laughs> what on did you, Thursday. What did, you, what did you get from that scene that you talk about on the airplane where he's like, Melania, come on in here. Oh, that was hysterical. Tell so me. He was so teed off that I was asking him all these questions about his family and his background and that he was an incorrigible uh, child. He got so agitated, and he didn't know what to do. He couldn't throw me out because we're at 30,000 feet on Air Force One. So he calls his wife in. He goes, Melania, get out of here. He's torturing me. Tell him to stop. <laughs> and Melania comes in and, and with a smile and looks at me and looks at him and just bolts right out. Just, word, just comes in, right doesn't say office. doesn't say anything. He explains. Nothing. She just stands there for a no while word. and then it's turns like, around and walks out. Let me, no, didn't walk out. Sprint it out. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Bill O'Reilly, thanks so much, man. All right. Appreciate it. Talk to you Friday. You got it. United States of Trump is the new book. You're listening to the best of the Glenn Beck program. Hey, it's Glenn, and if you like what you hear on the program, you should check out Pat Gray Unleashed. His podcast is available wherever you download your favorite podcast. We have Harry Dent on. He is the author of a new book out called uh, Zero Hour. He's a he's an economist. Uh, he has written several several books um, over the recent years. He goes against the grain um, usually. This time, people are starting to agree with him. Um, but uh, he predicted the dot-com bubble in the 90s. I believe he also had a book out that talked about the banking crisis in 2008. He is he is more accurate on timing uh, than I am, but uh, he is uh, very accurate on the direction that we're headed. He's saying that we are approaching zero hour in 2020 of a of a massive meltdown. Welcome to the program, Harry Dent. Yeah, nice to be back, Glenn. Yeah, thank you. Um, so let me let me start with this. Uh, are you concerned at all about what's happening with the banking sector that they say was caused by buying U.S. Treasuries and then they also had to pay their taxes on the same week? And so the, the repo loans that are being given by the Fed, and they say they're going to do it now. They, they were only going to do, uh, I think, $50 billion dollars. And they announced last Friday that they're going to continue this until October 10th to the tune of $1.8 trillion to the banks. What's happening there? Well, uh, yeah, it, it, it is worrisome that all of a sudden banks need money. You can't say, oh, quarterly tax payments are due because that happens every quarter. Yeah. <laughs> and I mean, fire everybody in your accounting department if that's yeah. true. Yeah, and the, and the repo rate didn't, doesn't jump to 10% every quarter when that happens. So Correct. there is a reason. That there's a couple things going on, and the Fed is partly responsible for this. Back in 2008 in the crisis, um, they, for the first time, paid banks to have excess re- reserves parked at the Fed. I mean, in the past, if they did that, they didn't get anything on it. And so the, so the banks are, are sitting here saying, okay, other banks need more money, but for some reason, the big banks, who are the ones that really do this, are not lending it. It's banks lending to each other, as you've told people. Right. And for some reason, they're not. But but the reserve, so so, but but they they're getting that one point nine percent. They're getting the same amount just sitting there at the Fed. So the Fed created this. That was not the case. Um, 
the the other thing is, is that um, the Fed started draining. They started buying back bonds. They started shrinking their balance sheet between 2017 and 18, and that took the the amount of money that banks have in excess reserves. Now that's above what they're required to have with the Fed. So this is excess dropped from 2.8 down to 1.4 trillion. So. There is less money in the system because of that. And now there seems to be, I mean, like you say, nobody's giving a reason, which is weird. It, it is weird. They're not giving a reason why banks suddenly need money. But, but they may just get to the point where, where the, the larger banks say, well, you know, we want to have some excess liquidity because I hate to say it. <laughs> they know that they're still, I mean, you know, remember that $670 trillion of crazy derivatives, highly leveraged derivatives? Mm-hmm. There's still $530 trillion in the system. Um, mm. And, and, of course, they, these banks, all of them, they invest, in, and, and they're basically speculators now. Um, and, and, and they're the smart money that can kind of be ahead of the Fed. And as long as the Fed keeps easing, they just keep betting on that highly leveraged. So, you know, they know that, that they have you know, more risk than they let on. And so maybe these bigger banks are just saying, oh, you know, we're, I think we'd rather have this money sitting at the Fed, and we're getting paid the same. Now, what, what right. would be interesting, if the Fed, I would like to see this, if the Fed were to lower that rate they're paying on those excess reserves, then the banks would have more motivation. And if then they didn't lend, boy, then you know something's bad. But, but it's definitely troubling. This is not cumulative. This money has to be paid back every night. But the fact that they have to keep doing it every night, something – problem. Something's yeah, yeah, wrong. There's a problem. Right. Liquidity is drying up, and that—that's all. It doesn't take much to trigger a crisis when we now have uh, 70 trillion more in global debt than we had before, and we have, you know, uh, 88, 89 trillion dollars in just household financial assets. All of this can, and, and businesses have 29 trillion, and financial institutions have, you know, 102 trillion. This money can just disappear. Um, and, and that's what happens in that the difference between a recession and a depression. And, you know, and I, I know you're thinking the same. I'm calling for a depression. We began a depression in 2008, but they printed since about 16 trillion dollars to blow our way out of it to keep the banks from having to mark uh, take losses on their loan, bad loans and, and mark things down to market, which they allowed them not to do, which is all bad business. It's all not letting you clean out the system. So the economy can get healthy again. So we're carrying all this bad debt. Now we got 70 trillion more. Most of that came in the emerging world where their debt almost tripled since 2008 because we printed all these cheap dollars and euros and stuff and yen, especially dollars. And so emerging markets, emerging countries went on a borrowing spree like we did in 2008. So we're more in debt. They're way more in debt. So so what we're going to have Instead of the 1930s scenario where the first downturn was the worst of the Great Depression, 25% unemployment, 89% stock crash, you know, real estate goes down, everything goes down. This time we had – and then they had an aftershock in 1937 to 40, uh, a second uh, lesser depression. What we got is the lesser depression on the front side, and we're going to get the big one on the back side precisely because – Governments, central banks all did the same thing. They just printed their way out of this. They, they printed money to cover up and to prevent deflation. Deflation is occurring. And that, again, that's what a depression is versus a recession. When you see deflation like in the 1930s, and we started to see in 2008-9, you have loans failing. That means they get uh, written off or, or restructured. Money disappears in the system. Stock stock bubbles, right? You know, the stock market is worth, what, $70 trillion. That 
drops 50, 60, 70, 80%. Money disappears and does not come back for a while. So money's coming out of the system. That causes deflation, and that's a sign that you're going through what I call a big detox, that the debt is deleveraging, financial bubbles are coming down to reality. Uh, the stock market right now, you know, I, I think you probably remember my the indicator I'm most famous for is the spending wave. New generations moving predictably up a rising spending cycle as they age until age 46. Now it's 47. Um, and, and that's been the best gauge of where the stock market should be and the best predictor in the past. Well, now the stock market's 114 percent above that, by far the most overvalued. And you know what that's all is? Companies buying back their own stocks. Their, their earnings per share from shrinking their stocks has gone up 119% faster than the actual earnings. And that's exa- almost exactly how much the stock market's overvalued. No, uh, in, um, everyday investors aren't buying the stock market. Institutions are actually backing out in, in, in the last year. It's all corporations, $5.7 trillion since 2009. Corporations buying back their own stock, which means they're buying, they're taking the cash flow of their shareholders and, and buying stocks that are massively overvalued in, in, in a bubble. And then when it crashes, they're going to lose all that money. And the shareholders are going to say, well, why aren't you buying our stock now that it's down 80 90%? And they're going to say, well, we don't have the money because we blew it in the bubble. They, the, I've never seen this, Glenn, before where the, the dumb money today is the, is the largest corporation's management buying back their own stock. And then the flip side in real estate, the biggest bubbles are being driven by the richest people buying in the biggest cities like New York and London and San Francisco and, and, and Miami and Shanghai and, and Sydney and, and Singapore. And, and they are buying real estate massively overvalued, thinking, oh, it can never go down because rich people like us will always have money and buy it. No, the rich people, the richer you are and the more money you have in financial assets, the more you're going to lose when this bubble blows. And, and I'm saying at the latest, this thing blows by early 2021. I think it's going to blow right around the corner. I think it's going to blow in early 2020. That's that's. I've got two scenarios. Uh, it's so bad now, Glenn, that you know, since central banks just do anything, print any amount of money, uh, cut taxes, whatever, to keep this going. This this is just going to be a bubble that goes until it blows. And it looks to me, it's like we've got maybe one more rally left. And, and the question is, do we get a, a significant scare first and then a rally because the Fed does step up and do what Trump is telling him to do and say, you know, print a bunch of money and, and lower rates, rates more aggressively again. Uh, but but one way or the other, I think this thing is, is my odds are that this is going to blow by in the first half of next year and maybe as soon as, as January. All we right. get one more. Out. So what, Harry, does the average person do? Don't talk to me about people who have lots of money. Talk to me about people who have very little money. What do they do? Well, you know, I tell you, first thing, because because real estate is hard. If you have real estate that's not strategic to your life, like a home you plan to stay in long term, uh, you've got maybe a second home that you don't use that much, or you've got a house, maybe you speculated in a house, which a lot of people have done. You know, you you, know, you buy a house and then and then you rent it out and then you hope it go, keeps going up in this bubble. You got to sell your real estate now because real estate uh, gets illiquid very fast, and that's what happened in 2008. So, so any real estate, and, and if you're thinking, oh, I've got a McMansion now, but in three years I'm going to retire and I'm going to sell it, no, sell it now before this crash because real estate, I think this time, it, my indicator on real estate is very good. It was 20% overvalued in 2006, the last top, and I did call that. I, in fact, I sold my house in Miami. 
uh, right in late 2005, just before real estate peaked in 2006. Now it is 40% overvalued. Mm. compared to my best indicator for that. So I'm expecting uh, up to a 50% crash versus 34% in real estate. Now, that's, that's, that's what hits the average person the most because people tend to have debt against their house and people tend to have uh, a lot. Rich people have a lot more money in financial assets, but, but everyday people have more money in their house, in their primary home and or a vacation house. So real estate first and then I'm telling people, you know, it, it, right now wouldn't be a bad time because we, we could see a surprise crash literally within weeks because the market's at a very critical point right now. They're trying to break the new highs, and if they can't, it means they're probably going to go down more than they did late last year, and that, that could be 25 30%. So this is, this is a good time to lighten up on stocks. If we see this one more rally that I'm expecting, then you definitely sell on that. You just um, – um, You're thinking there's a rally at the 33 possible. Possible, yeah. Or, or my, I'm most watching, Glenn, the NASDAQ, because that's the lead dog. That's the lead bubble. NASDAQ, I'm projecting, if we get one more, if we can break up the new highs and continue the rally that started in, in late December, then uh, my target would be about 10,000. I see it get near a 10,000 NASDAQ. That is an absolute take your money and run, even if it goes higher, because it's Baron Rothschild said in the 1800s when they asked, what's the secret to your wealth? He says, I always got out a little early. The, one of the things, Glenn, I did was I looked at bubbles. All I've done is study bubbles the last few years because we're in, a, we're in the biggest bubble in all history. It's global. It's being pushed, uh, coordinated by central banks around the world. Um, uh, bubbles, the, the first crash, when, when the smart money finally say it's over, and I've got a smart money indicator that's saying they're already running for the hills. They just haven't started shorting it yet. They're already not investing in this market. The first crash averages in the last seven bubbles in the last century, 42% in the first 2.6 months. And the worst one, which would probably be more like this one, was 1929, 49% in the first 2.3 months. In less than 10 weeks, the market goes down 49%. On the way, down 89% in, in, in 1932, but, but more than half of it happens right away. So people who wait and say, well, I'll, you know, wait, it's better to get out a little early. Um, uh, I, I think markets are either going to break up or down in the next few weeks or so. If they break up, I would kind of like sell into that rally. If they start to break down, then, then you know, you might want to just – get out a little early now um and you could do like half now and half later um so you you really just have to say look i mean what what the typical stockbroker financial advisor will tell you and, they, and they'd be right about 80 percent of the time but, you know you can sit out most corrections this is not a correction this is a great reset the last time this happened was exactly 90 years ago that's one of my most important cycles yeah 45-year technology and bubble cycles, and especially super bubbles every 90 years. So we really are repeating. At that point. Yeah, at that yeah. point. And, and a, a super bubble in the U.S. when everybody was moving to the Midwest and Chicago became New York overnight in 1837 that crashed into 1842. So right. every 90 years we've seen this. So this is, this is nothing to sit through. You have to just be safe. Okay. And then if you do that, then you can buy everything on sale a couple of years from now. All right. Harry Dent is his name. The name of the book is Zero Hour. I urge you to do your own homework and pay attention to the economy uh, because it, something is um, uh, something's weird that is happening. 
and you're going to have to decide what to do uh, about it. Harry Dent, author of Zero Hour. Thanks very much. The Blaze Radio Network. On demand.